Hello and welcome. Nathan here from the Journey Further podcast, a show where we learn from the people and businesses who are on a mission to do things differently. This is a special episode brought to you by the Journey Further book club, and I'm really excited to be joined by our community manager, Isabel. Hello, Isabel. How are you doing? Hi, Nathan. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So who do we have on the podcast today? So I had a conversation with Lieutenant David Marquet about his new book, Leadership is Language. Um, And David was a top U.S. Naval Academy graduate who took over the running of the nuclear submarine, the USS Santa Fe. Um, And whilst he was serving as commander, he did something quite unexpected and made a promise to his crew to never give another order. And that was a pretty rogue decision. But what followed was some of the best performance results that the U.S. Navy had ever seen. Um, and leadership is language is then an exploration of the language changes that David and the crew made and how that impacted their performance. Um, it came out in February of 2020 and it's been a Financial Times book of the month um, and seen fantastic reviews across the board. And we're delighted to be featuring it as the hero title in the book club at the moment um, as we focus on workplace communication. Oh, that sounds great. I can't wait to listen. So, of course, if you like what you hear, please do subscribe and leave a review in your podcast app. Isabel, over to you. Thank you. Enjoy. Welcome to the Journey Further podcast, David. Um, I believe we're talking across time zones today. Are you in are you in Florida? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your podcast. I know we got connected through Matthew Crossley at the Penguin. And how do you know him? And Yeah. So I look after the Journey for the Book Club, um, which is a UK community for time pressured senior marketers, business owners and founders. Um, I've been chatting with Matthew a little bit about a few other books um, over the last few months. And uh, he, he actually suggested the book um, as the hero title, I said, I'm looking for a communications book. What do you recommend? And he suggested your book. So that's why we're here today. Uh, brilliant. Perfect. Thank you. So we'll, we'll talk much more about leadership as language um, in a few minutes time. But I wanted to start off by asking you the question, which we ask all of our guests about the way that they work. And that is, what is the wrong you want to write? For me, the wrong is the way we treat people at work the way we end up telling them what to do, marginalizing them. And I don't think it's because we're evil or bad. It's just that we've been programmed to say things from an old era that's no longer that helpful. And how has your career so far led you to this thought about the way (laughs) that we communicate at work? So my experience was I came up through the United States Navy, which is a highly command and control, tell people what to do environment. And I was frankly good at that. That's why they they kept promoting me. And I ended up uh, being assigned to be captain of a nuclear submarine at the very last minute after 12 months of training for one submarine. No, no, no. You're going to be on a different submarine. And by the way, it's the worst performing submarine in the fleet with the worst morale, the worst retention and the worst performance. And... It's a different so kind of submarine, so you don't know all the, the buttons and everything. Well, so I show up, and we all sort of went back to, we, we all went to our normal patterns. The crew waited and expected me to tell them what to do, and I fell naturally into the pattern as the captain of telling them what to do. And it didn't work, as you can imagine, because I didn't know the submarine. Even when, I, even when they knew what I was telling them didn't make sense, they would still do it. And... We, we said, stop, 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 stop. 
you push the pause button. Now you can't control a lot. You, I couldn't control who was coming to the ship, the training schedules, the operational requirements, any of that stuff. But we could change the way we talk to each other. And it turns out that's actually the most powerful thing. And I, and we kind of hit on this thing where we said, look, stop to asking for permission. Just tell me what you intend to do. Make me stop you. And later they described it as an empowerment program, but we never really used that word. We just talked, we just changed the way we talked and our brains rewired themselves basically. And so all day long, what was happening was officers would come to me saying, hey, hey, here's what I, here's my plan. Here's what I intend to do. Here's why I'm doing it. Here's how I'm going to make sure it's done right. You can veto it, but if you don't veto it, if you don't say anything, I'm doing it. And it was so liberating, so powerful. It was amazing for me because now I, my brain was, I was no longer worried about making it happen all the time. And at the same time, they felt a tremendous sense of ownership and responsibility. We get this phrase sometimes, well, how do you hold people accountable? And I'm like, I, I don't understand that question. You only need to hold people accountable. That's a question from uh, you tell someone what to do. You tell them what resources they have. You tell them the timeline they have. And then they don't, quote, quote, do it. And then you have to, quote, hold them accountable. And in our scheme, we didn't have to hold people accountable. The question just doesn't make any sense. Amazing. So how long were you on the USS Santa Fe? Three years. And we turned the whole thing around. But that's not the story. I mean, we ended up with every sailor who could uh, signed up to stay in the Navy 100% the very next year, 33 out of 33. Uh, we set records for uh, operating the submarine, the highest score in the history of the Navy uh, for, for operating. And people really couldn't understand it. And they thought I was just giving genius orders. They didn't realize that it was just, I wasn't telling anyone what to do. The way I think about it was instead of having one brain and 134 people, 134 sets of hands, we now had 135 brains. And this is what was super powerful. It was, it was, it was great for me. I benefited probably the most, but it was really powerful for them. But this wasn't the story. The story was over the next 10 years, uh, 10 of the officers became submarine commanders. Uh, so I wrote a book about that and I got invited around. It was wonderful. I was talking to companies about how, about my story. And they're like, well, we want to do it. And how do we change our language? And I was trying it myself on our own company. And, I, and my problem was I kept feeling, I had this feeling that my words were predetermined for me. They were pre-programmed. I would blurt things out and I see this, I now see it like everywhere. I see it, I see it in people, the way parents talk to their kids often. And, and someone comes up to you and says, well, I don't think it's a good idea. What do you do? You go into defensive mode. You, you, you explain why. Or maybe you might, if you're particularly enlightened that day, you might say, well, why do you think that? But that still sends a signal. You think they're wrong and you think you're right. And, and we come from this mindset of I'm right, you're wrong, you prove to me that you're right, as opposed to a mindset of curiosity, which is, oh, hmm, maybe that's right. Let me be curious about that. But over and over and over again, I was programmed back into these, these old ways of thinking. So I, I would end the sentence. I would say, blah, 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 right? Blah, 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 makes sense, blah, 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 good. <laughs> Why? I'm suppressing the ability for people to say, no, it doesn't make sense. What we want people to say is, blah, 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 blah. 
what's wrong in there? What doesn't sound right? What's what doesn't strike you as natural? Uh, how could this go wrong? Anyway, so we had so I started building this. Don't say this, say that. I had this long list of ways to phrase things. Another example was, is it safe? Will it work? Someone comes up to you and says, well, we've, we, we've been successful at empowering the team. And they come up to you and they say, hey, here's what I intend to do. Will that work? That's a bad question because it's binary. And they're, they're put in a box. Um, you know, yes. There's very little isn't there? I want- For any form yeah, of discussion, ahead. if you're leading people to the answer. Exactly. And, but, but I hear this all the time, not just from everybody else, but from myself. And so I had this big list of don't say this, say that. And, and that's where I, that's where this new uh, leadership as language book comes from. Hey there, Nathan here. If you're enjoying the show so far, you need to make sure you join the Journey Further book club. We read the best business books just like David's and share bite-sized insight from every chapter, host virtual meetups with the community. We're over a thousand members now. It's completely free to join. Just go to journeyfurther.com to sign up. Now back to David. So at the start of Leadership as Language, you share... Um, the unfortunate story of the crew of um, El Faro, the container ship um, that sadly sank um, in 2015, I think it was. And you then pepper their story throughout the book and finish the book sharing um, an alternative way the story could have ended. Um, And you do that through the six industrial age plays that you explain are outdated and the the six new ways um, that you share that we should and could be adhering to when it comes to language in leadership. Would you be able to share an overview of what those six industrial age plays are um, and the six new plays that you propose? Yeah, so the, the El Faro is a tragic story. It's a, contain, it's a huge ship, two football fields long. 2015, sails into a hurricane near the Bahamas. They make a couple bad decisions not to uh, deviate and go towards protected water when they had a chance. And they die. All 33 people on board are lost at sea forever. We, we want to say, oh, it was a bad captain. Fortunately, we have the transcript. The government was able to recover the black box. And it's, and it's very valuable because on a ship, it's same the same kind of thing as an airplane, but airplane transcripts are, are typically fairly short. But a ship, so we have 25 hours of the conversations that are happening on the bridge. And we analyzed all these. We came up with two fundamentally interesting things. Uh, one, number one was if you just counted the words, the words were, it, it was as if they were allocated in proportion to people's salary. So every time there was a three-person meeting with the captain, the officer on deck, and then the crewman, the captain would say the most number of words, shortly followed by the officer, and then there would be a big gap down to the crewman. And so we call this share of voice, or it's, and you can mathematically calculate the disparity, the deviation from normal in the the words. And the the thing is, in teams where there's big disparities in word count, you're going to make worse decisions because one of two things is happening or maybe both number one is one person is dominating the conversation so we're not getting what everybody knows 
or one or more people are not participating. So the team is deprived from those people now. If you only want to try one thing here, when you're running a meeting, the objective in running a meeting is not to get your point across. If you're the one running the meeting, if you're the leader, the objective when you're the leader is to make sure you get everyone's voice out there and that no one is dominating the meeting and then no one is being super quiet and we're being deprived. So you say, hey, Yana, you've been really quiet. How do you see this? Or do you see this different than the rest of us? Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. It's going to be hard for the people who think see things differently to speak up. So that's your job. Number two is there was this way of speaking which really sounded, to me, it found sounded very na- very natural. It was exactly the way it would have sounded on a, a, as a result of my Navy training. And it's the captain is basically making decisions and getting the crew to go along with them. The captain asks, he makes uh, a couple thousand statements in these uh, 25 hours. And let's say he, he asked a thousand questions, but of the thousand questions, most, over half of them aren't really questions. They're things like, so what should we call this, point alpha? So he's answering his own question. Are we saying, you would, we wouldn't want to be the people who are running away from, from any weather pattern. Interestingly, also, he never calls the hurricane a hurricane, even though it, it's been upgraded to a hurricane. He calls it a tropical depression. He calls it a storm. He calls it a weather pattern. And all this is to sort of, uh, it, it's, to, it, it's to get people to go along with his plan, which is to take the most direct, fastest route to Puerto Rico, which is the most exposed route, and that's what sinks him. So this is, we call this, what, what he's doing is, he, is they're obeying the clock. That's the play from the industrial age. We have clockwork, we clock in, we pay people by the hour. It's all because we obey the sense of unrelenting, the clock is in charge. What you wanna do in a modern organization is control the clock because when, you're, when you feel the pressure of the clock, you're not, your brain isn't fully active. Your prefrontal cortex is impaired because of the stress that's laid on it. You're not making good decisions. So leaders now say, time out. If I have to go tell the boss or the client or make a press release that we're going to delay the launch of this new product, I will do that. That will be on me. But we need, I want to take a pause here and make sure we're doing the right thing. I want to make sure that launching 737 is max. I want to make sure that we're, you can go on through uh, corporation after corporation and, and, and what they do. But Fundamentally, it's because we're pressuring people by the clock. We need to control the clock. And then everything everything else stems from the fact that in an industrial age organization, thinking and doing, these are the two fundamental ways that we advance ourselves in life. We We contemplate something, then we make a decision, we do it. And then we reflect on how, how, how it went. And there's two different kinds of ways that we use our brains. Fundamentally, when we're thinking, it's broad, it's expansive, it's relaxed. When we're doing, it's focused, it's precise. We we exclude peripheral, we exclude variability, and we exclude distraction. So it's a very focused. And, and so what happens is if you don't get the rhythm between those two things right, then you're focused when you really should be broadly, have a broad perspective. And you get distracted from broad perspectives when you really should be focused. So it's the rhythm is we want to control the clock, which allows us to raise our heads, have a broad perspective, then collaborate, and then go 
make a commitment where we go back into the focus work and then we're going to complete the focus work in small chunks and then we're going to raise our head periodically and so you have this rhythm and since businesses many businesses don't make that distinction every day feels like the same it's neither super focused nor is it broadly broadly expansive so, so people most people don't experience the joy of being so utterly focused in your job that you lose track of time because you're not worried that are you doing the right thing because you know there's going to be a time the buzzer is going to go off or in two weeks we're going to say pause and we're going to say okay are we let's reevaluate how we're doing here and we're not super expansive we say we're very expansive we say we invite diverse opinions but we're not we're not doing that we're not collaborating we say hey i think we should launch a product but does everybody think well you just narrowed the responses that you're going to get back the people who are at the peripheries are no longer going to participate that's fantastic um to hear from you obviously having read the book i was surprised at how emotional i felt reading the book obviously with the fate of the crew um, of the container ship in mind all the way through and seeing you explain the plays that they were playing by and how differently things could have been was was really quite arresting. Um, and I, I wondered, obviously, we're, I, I hesitate to say unprecedented times um, with coronavirus. How do you think those industrial age plays are affecting um, the way that companies and individuals are responding to coronavirus now? Well, they're not helpful. And I think coronavirus is forcing us to come to grips with some of these things. And what I'm, what we're hoping and what we're seeing is our the companies that have been developing the idea of people thinking and not necessarily needing to be controlled, because a lot of people are having to give that up. I can't see the people. They're working at home. Some people are substituting endless Zoom calls for that. That's not good. You need to let your people have time to do the focused work. Zoom call typically is what we call blue work. It's a, it's a collaborative, expansive, decision-making thinking thing. No one's actually doing work during a Zoom call, pretty much, unless you actually have a document open and everyone's editing. But you got to let people do the individual focused uh, work so you don't fill the days with Zoom calls. But... I think a lot of things are getting um, smashed up, and I hope that we don't necessarily go back. We have a client, this is a big uh, insurance company, and they've been talking about, well, let's, what would it take to get people working from home? Well, let's see, if one-fifth of the workforce worked at home, so, you know, one Monday, Tuesday, one, everyone gets one day at home. Uh, it'll take us two years and blah, blah, blah to uh, to get the, everything ready. I mean, coronavirus said that everyone stayed home. They had one week and they did it for the whole company 100% of the time. Why? Because they they the executives knew, I can't, this isn't going to happen if I need every decision to channel up to me where I decided to come back down. That's the industrial age model. We pushed the information, the people have the information to someone with authority. So they said, look, I'm just giving you the authority to make these decisions. So the tech guys who had to support the technology and then the legal guys who had to make sure we had uh, protected the financial data and client information. Like, uh, I, it's too complicated. It's too fast. I can't do it. And I'm going to accept a little bit more risk because it just needs to happen right now. So none of these things would have ever happened. I mean, it wouldn't even close. It was like 
they had a two-year plan for one-fifth of the workforce. And now the whole thing. So what I'm hoping is that that, so that concept of let, let the people with the information make the decisions. We, the word we use is let the doers be the deciders. If you picture an industrial age factory, we just separate. The doers are those people working in the factory. And the deciders are, that's management, that's white call. And we even have work, we even separate the workforce with words. Salary, hourly, white collar, blue collar, management, workforce. And that's just a vestige of separating those two roles, the thinking and the doing by person, not getting everybody thinking and, by the way, doing. Leading on from that, so one of our book club members, um, Johnny, um, he wanted to ask you a question about feedback loops. Um, So a a past book club read was Bruce Daisley's book, um, The Joy of Work. Um, And in that, he shares the idea of the evil mill owner, which is something that you touch upon, obviously, in the book as well, about this idea of an outdated figure who panics when he can't see his workers hard at work. And obviously, as you explain, a huge proportion of the office workers have pivoted to working from home now. And so... After reading that, at our agency, we established um, that it was okay to call people out for being an evil mill owner. So anytime we saw that behavior arising, when a manager would say, no, I think you need to be in today, we would call it out. Um, And yeah, he wanted to know if you had any similar examples um, that could be followed for any of the coercive plays or collaborate plays that you detail in the book. So, So the way we do it is we say, look, what you want is you want people inviting feedback, not giving feedback. You want to create an organization. So for, if you're that person and you're going to run a meeting, you tell the team that you're the source of an invitation. You say, hey, guys, I need you, need you to help me. This is what I did on the submarine because I made a, made a rule I would never give an order because the problem wasn't me giving orders, bad orders. The problem was I was giving orders. So, for example, someone in our company likes to say the word right a lot. Did it right? Did it right? Well, this is the thing we talk about not saying. So he's said, look, I need help changing it because it's a longstanding pattern. So you want a culture of people inviting feedback. I, I mean, if the person hasn't asked for it, I'm not sure that it's going to matter that you told them, oh, you're being a jerky person again. Well, that leads us on to kind of our final three questions. Um, So a quick fire round. First question is, what did you used to believe that you no longer believe in? Yeah, I used to think leadership was about telling people what to do. And it's not. It's about creating a structure where they can figure out what to do and then they tell you. Perfect. Um, And if this wasn't your mission, what would be? I I think I'd be doing the same kind of thing, but I'd I'd be focused on parenting. It's so... Oh my gosh. I, you know, when I go to the grocery store and I hear parents talking to their kids, I just like, Oh no, please don't say it like that. And there's so many examples where we are disadvantaging our, our kids because of the way we condition them through our own language. Well, that's got to be book number three then surely. Yeah. Well, the far, my final question for you is if you could recommend the members of the journey for the book club, one book, what would it be? Um, and I guess specifically on communications would be would be great. The best book on communication I ever read is called, and it's, this is an old book. It's been out for 30 years. It's called How to Talk to Kids So Kids Will Listen, How to Listen So Kids Will Talk. And you might think, well, that's sort of cementing you into a parent 
child kind of dialogue. But actually, the book's about getting out of that structure. And and the genius of the book is it shows you how with some just few changes of the words, you have these hugely different outcomes. I had it with me as a nuclear submarine commander. Not that I thought about my crew as kids, but it's just like there was so much so much good stuff in there and I was applying it. Uh, I, had it, I had it locked up in my top secret safe because I didn't want anyone to know I had it. <laughs> so it's a genius book. How to talk so kids will listen. How to listen so kids will talk. It was written by two women, uh, Maslish and Faber. Great book. Amazing. Thank you very much. Um, that wraps us up, David. Thank you so much for your time and for writing Leadership as Language, um, which yeah, our members have still got another 10 weeks or so of enjoying. So thank you. Cheers. That was great. Really interesting. Thank you, Isabel. Um, How was it chatting with David? Yeah, I mean, it was a real treat to speak with him. Um, Obviously, studying the book for the book club, um, something that stood out to me about leadership as language is the example that David shares of the El Faro container ship, which unfortunately sunk, um, and how we can look at the actual words that were spoken on board that ship um, to give us examples of how not to communicate with our team. And that's something that members of the book club have shared, um, is how realistic David's examples and insights are. Um, so it's really enjoyable to hear them from him directly and hopefully um, everyone found it helpful. Yeah, amazing. As you say, really actionable for lots of people. So we have lots more exciting episodes coming up with plenty more interesting authors, in fact. Uh, so do please hit subscribe. Please leave a review in your podcast app to help other people discover the podcast. If you've got any ideas about guests we should feature, whether they're authors, CMOs, founders of interesting startups or businesses please do give us a shout podcast at journeyfurther.com and finally this is your chance to join the journey further book club journeyfurther.com takes two seconds to sign up it's completely free we'll see you there